The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. Welcome to the Inn. Welcome to the Inn. I'm Janie. Um, for those of you that don't know me, I'm on staff here with University Ministries, and we are excited. I'm excited that you're here tonight. We only have a few inns left in the quarter, which crazy, huh? I think it's crazy. You guys are probably like, oh, cannot come. The end cannot come soon enough. So ready to be done. You guys are probably tired of listening to your teachers. Yeah. Well, speaking of teachers, I know that was a good transition, huh? Um, speaking of teachers, I. I don't really, I, I can't really think of my favorite teacher. I don't know. Um, I actually had my dad as a teacher for two years. That was interesting. Um, but I grew up in a really small town. I grew up in the town of Castle Rock. And uh, so had, we had a really small school. And as I've grown older, I've come to realize that academics were not much of a priority in the Castle Rock School District. Sometimes I'm surprised I can read. But... Um, So I don't have a favorite teacher that I want to tell you about tonight, but I do want to read, actually, I want to read a dialogue between um, a writer, Uh, a writer wrote this dialogue between a teacher, a teacher, excuse me, I am over 30, I know, Um, a dialogue between a teacher and a student, and this is a dialogue imagined by this guy who wrote, wrote this book, Simon Rich. It says, I still remember the day I got my first calculator. Teacher, all right, children, welcome to fourth grade math. Everybody take a calculator out of the bin. Me, what are these? Teacher, from now on, we'll be using calculators. Me, what do these things do? Teacher, simple operations like multiplication and division. Me, you mean this device just does them by itself? Teacher, yes, you enter in the problem and press equal. Me, you, you knew about this machine all along, didn't you? <laughs> this whole time. Well, we were going through this, this charade with pencils and the line paper and the stupid multiplication tables. I'm sorry for shouting. It's just, I'm a little blown away. Teacher, Okay, everyone, today we're going to go over some word problems. Me, what the heck do you have back there? A magical pen that writes book reports by itself? Some kind of automatic social studies worksheet that that fills itself out? What the heck is going on? Teacher, if a farmer farms five acres of land a day, me. So that's it then. The past three years have been a total farce. All this time I've been thinking... Well, this is pretty hard and frustrating, but I guess these are useful skills to have. Meanwhile, there was a whole bin of these things in your desk. We could have jumped straight to graphing, unless, of course, there's some kind of graphing calculator. (laughs) Teacher, there is. You get one in ninth grade. (laughs) Me, is this, am I on TV? Is this a prank show? Teacher, no. Uh, so that's a great dialogue when you discover calculators for the first time. 
And tonight, as you can guess, we are talking about how Jesus was a teacher. If you've been here this quarter, you know that we've been going through the book of Mark and asking the question, what did Jesus do? What was so special about this guy? Why did anyone care about what Jesus did? We're actually in our seventh week of this series, so we've seen Jesus do quite a bit over the quarter. So far, we've seen him choose a a small group of guys um, to spend time with them, kind of a posse, if you will, of disciples. We've seen Jesus demonstrate that he is one who has authority like no one has seen before. He is God. And he has demonstrated that by healing, by driving out demons, by spending a lot of time with sinners, performing miracles, feeding thousands of people, calming a storm. We've seen him gain notoriety, and we've also seen him develop enemies. We've also seen Jesus in a different light. We've seen his humanity. We've seen him get tired and fall asleep. We've seen him get irritated at the disciples and their lack of faith. We've seen him be tempted in the wilderness. We've seen him go off by himself to pray. So there's a lot that we have seen. It's kind of been a wild ride, at least I think so. As I said, we're going to look at one more thing that Jesus did. Simply put, Jesus taught. When we first think about the fact that Jesus taught, we might say that we would put it in the less miraculous category, if you're keeping score, of what we've seen that Jesus did. Maybe not as awesome as feeding the 5,000 that Tyler taught us about last week. But Jesus went way beyond just educating his students. More than just helping people realize their full potential, which is what we think a good teacher does. Much more significant than Robin Williams' English teacher in Dead Poets Society, who was fired, he taught so well, right? In those movies, the teachers get fired because they're really good teachers. Anyways, um, what Jesus was teaching actually turned the world upside down. I mean, he reoriented everything for people, and he transformed lives through the power of what he communicated and the kingdom of God that he communicated through what he taught. Now, before we take a closer look at our scripture tonight of Jesus' teaching, let's stop a minute and pray. Gracious God, we thank you that we have the words of Jesus for us in your scripture. We thank you for all of the ways that he taught all of those people thousands of years ago and the ways that we can learn today. I pray that tonight we would be able to learn from your word. Teach us and be with us. In your name, amen. Jesus taught quite a bit in his ministry. Everywhere he went, he drew crowds of people who wanted to hear what he had to say. And frequently, he taught in a very specific way. He taught through parables, okay? Um, And parables, before we look at some of the parables, I want to stop and talk a minute about the parabolic teaching that he actually did. Parabolic is an actual word. I didn't just make it up. Although it does sound like a disease. Stay away from Ryan. He's got a case of the parabolic flu. We're going to look at his parabolic teaching, how Jesus taught through parables. And a very basic definition we have here, that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So it's a story that uses basic everyday things, but there's a spiritual element involved in what he's teaching. And it was we know from the literature that it was a common method of teaching at the time. A lot of people did it. 
Um, and what Jesus was doing by using parables was taking his teaching outside the walls of the synagogue. He was bringing his teaching to ev- people everywhere he went. Now, if we're familiar with the Gospels, we're familiar that he used parables a lot. And because of this, we tend to overlook that there's actually some real power in what Jesus said in his parables. I think one of the main reasons Jesus used parables is because he wanted people to think for themselves. He used stories of everyday things so they would have to really pay attention to what he was saying, really listen to what he was sharing and what he was talking about. So let's take a look at one of these parables in Mark. Um, Matt Rogers is actually going to read the scripture for us tonight. So um, it's Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake. While all the people were along the shore at the water's edge, he taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on, the ro- on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying thirty, sixty, or even a hundred times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Thanks, Matt. So as the scripture said, he frequently teaches, and he teaches in parables a lot, and crowds gather. And then after he's done teaching, the disciples and some other people that know him well come close by so that he can teach them more, so that they can understand more of what he's saying. Now Jesus himself, in a few places in scripture, says that he uses parables in order to explain the kingdom of God to give concrete examples to what is actually a really abstract concept. He uses basic things like farming, a king and servant, um, working in a vineyard, a wedding banquet, in order to explain this difficult thing. And the difficult thing is the kingdom of God. Now, there have been volumes written about the kingdom of God and what what it means and what it stands for. But at the risk of being way, way too simplistic and maybe even a touch blasphemous, I'm going to sum it up by saying that Jesus was teaching about himself. What Jesus was teaching about the kingdom of God, he was teaching about himself, his ministry, his life, his death, his resurrection, and the love and grace and redemption that is found when anyone is in relationship with him. And Jesus' teachings and the parables are about the way the kingdom of God transforms lives, transforms individual lives. People are drawn into relationship, which ultimately they are able to share that with the world. In the, 
in the particular parable that we already looked at, the seeds falling on all the different kinds of soil, the seed that grows is the one that is rooted in good soil, the one that is rooted in faith in Jesus, the one that is surrounded by a relationship with Jesus, and it produces a harvest for others to benefit from. Something I think we overlook a lot when it comes to parables is the way that they explain the kingdom of God and the Jesus using them is really kind of subversive. He's kind of being a little bit underground, a little sneaky in the way that he uses his uses parables, his teachings, flying under the radar in a particular way in order to communicate what he wants to communicate. And I say that because as we've been going through the book of Mark, we've looked at not only what Jesus did when he came, but also what was the world that he came into? What was it like? What were things like in the world he came into? When Jesus begins his ministry, he is in Israel, and Israel is occupied and ruled by outside invaders, by the Romans. And the expectations for the Messiah, the expectations for the promise of the Messiah that Israel had were that he was going to come in with a mighty fist and squish all of Israel's enemies. Squish them all. The nation would once again be huge and mighty, and the literal kingdom of God would be this nation where God would rule on a throne. That was the expectation. I would guess a lot of people were incredibly tired of being occupied by these outside invaders that ruled with a mighty fist. They desperately wanted to be freed from their circumstances. So needless to say, the expectations for this Messiah were someone who was going to kick butt and take names and reestablish Israel as an amazing kingdom. That is what the expectation was. That is what Jesus came into. And the fact that he was getting people all riled up about a kingdom of God that wasn't anything like what people thought it was going to look like. Many of the authorities were suspicious the religious authorities and the governmental authorities were suspicious of this guy. Because the word on the street for other folks, mostly those you would describe as the despised, the unclean, the unimportant folks, what they thought was going on is this guy was the Messiah they were waiting for. He was doing things that they had never seen, never thought possible. He was bringing, the, he was bringing them, the lowest of the low, hope. And those in a, when those in authority began to hear about it, their response was, no, 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 not this guy. Everyone is following this guy? He doesn't look like what our Savior is supposed to look like. Not only is he ministering to the wrong people, the small, the sick, the tax collectors, the uneducated, the unclean, He isn't doing anything to make Israel a great nation, a mighty kingdom. He lives in a fishing village near Galilee. Come on. That's like saying the Messiah could come from Pullman. It's ridiculous. Jesus does not look like what the Messiah was supposed to look like. He was not the spectacular, effective savior that everyone was expecting. We often forget this, but that is the environment that Jesus came into. That is the environment he was teaching in. 
The image of Jesus that we get in our heads is like a gentle shepherd, like this picture. This is what I like to call Jesus Disney. When we think of him, we think of him sitting in pastures, teaching enjoyable and inoffensive parables to audiences who all loved him, while birds chirped on his shoulder and deer ate out of the palm of his hand. And that's actually pretty far from the truth of what was really going on. Instead, you had Israel ruled ruled by Rome, by fear and brute force, and that hostility was spread all throughout the society. Jesus knew that his message was so contradictory, it was so explosive, so different from what the expectation was, that if word got out, if he, if he taught in a straightforward manner, if word got out that Jesus' message about God's kingdom was radically different, then his ministry would have ended way more quickly than it even did. I tend to think it was because of all this that Jesus used parables in much of what he taught. In a lot of ways, parables are kind of like riddles. They cover up the truth as much as they convey the truth. They require looking into in order to be understood. When we read that parable, the first thing that Jesus said was, Listen. And the last thing that he said was, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Listen. Pay attention. Listen to what I'm saying because I have a message And I want you to hear it. And there are other people that are not going to get it because they really don't want to hear the truth about the kingdom of God. In verses 11 and 12, Jesus is actually quoting from Isaiah. The disciples and those close to him are, you know, saying, why are you speaking in parables? And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that... They may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. He's quoting from Isaiah at a time when Israel turned their back on God. They refused to listen to what Isaiah had to say. They refused to listen to the truth. And Jesus knows some people are going to have hard hearts. Some people are going to close their ears to what I'm communicating. They are not really going to listen to the truth about the kingdom of God, what I came to communicate to them. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus taught in parables because he wanted it to be a guessing game. Oh, do you mean this? What about this? It wasn't about doing everything you can to find the right answer. Okay, so I'm going to ask 20 questions, Jesus. Okay, animal, vegetable, mineral. Okay, that's not right. Go on to the next one. Guessing games are tricky. They can lead us down difficult paths. And I don't think that's what Jesus was going after. Every time I think of a guessing game, I always think of this one clip from the TV show Friends um, when Joey is horrible at playing a guessing game. So I want to show it to you tonight. Um... And show you how great yet how great Joey is at finding the right answers. Describe for Joey things we find in your refrigerator. Uh, just give us the points. <laughs> Twenty seconds on the clock. Ready? Go. You put this in your coffee. Uh, 
expecting to, to tell a parable and have, have people come up and guess what he meant by that. Paper, snow, a ghost! The point of these parables was not something that you had to figure out correctly. You had to find the right answer to be in relationship with Jesus. The point was that people could be drawn to Jesus. Remember, in the scripture that we read, after the parable, the disciples and people that knew Jesus well came to talk to him more about it, to get an explanation, to understand better. They drew close to Jesus to be in relationship with him. And along with that, they came to discover the transformation that took place when they were in relationship with Jesus. The love and the grace and the redemption that Jesus came to provide in the kingdom of God. Because these parables are not only about the kingdom of God, but the actual words of Jesus can transform those who hear them to be drawn into relationship. Jesus' teaching doesn't only provide words on how to live your life better, but Jesus' words are actually his transforming work. What Jesus is teaching is his transformation. The parables themselves make God's God's nearness to the world, God's nearness to us, happen. Jesus' parables about the kingdom of God draw people to him, not so they can discover the right answers, but so they can be in relationship with him. Those who really listen to what he's teaching can be in relationship with him, And then they can share that relationship with a world that is in desperate need of Jesus. Now, I know that's kind of abstract to say that the parables are not only Jesus teaching the kingdom of God, but also can be the transforming kingdom of God. So I want to try and demonstrate maybe what I mean by that by looking more closely at another parable that Jesus taught in Mark. So Matt is going to read for us Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 30. Again, he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is a small seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Thanks, Matt. Again, notice in that last verse, his disciples came to him to be close to Jesus, to learn more from him. They drew close to be in relationship with him, to learn more about what he was teaching in these parables. Now, the mustard seed parable might be familiar to you. It's one that's quoted all the time. We hear it talked about, about what the kingdom of God is like. It's seemingly a pretty simple parable. 
But this is actually a perfect example of how Jesus was flying under the radar and communicating something amazing about the kingdom of God. Now keep in mind the expectations about the Messiah that were out there. What everybody thought the kingdom of God was supposed to look like. It would be spectacular and strong, and that's what the Messiah would usher in. And Jesus says, actually, the kingdom of God is the smallest, weakest thing you can imagine. Seeds. Something tiny and pathetic. That's what the kingdom of God is like. This picture um, shows you how small a mustard seed is. It takes like 750 to make just an ounce. I mean, they're tiny. No wonder people rejected what Jesus had to say about the kingdom of God. But Jesus is communicating that this little ministry that they've got going on up by the Sea of Galilee, this little ministry, though they strike everyone as irrelevantly small, they are actually like seeds, big with life. And they have the power within them to become huge. With this parable, Jesus is providing hope. That something that starts small can grow. And like the birds that rest in the mustard plant, the kingdom of God can provide rest for all that are around, no matter who you are, outside the borders of the nation of Israel even. The choice of a mustard seed is actually kind of interesting because Jesus could have chosen um, something like a giant tree. The cedars of Lebanon that are talked about all throughout scripture. Because that starts as a really small seed. He could have chosen something that got huge and just super strong. But he didn't. And apparently the mustard seed isn't really huge and massive. It's actually a pretty small plant. It's just a garden plant. But it does grow incredibly rapidly. And if you plant it in your garden... You have to be careful because it will take over the entire garden and all of the other plants will be pushed out. The mustard plant from the small little seed penetrates the existing garden. It moves everything that is already there, pushes it out of the way. And not only that, but the mustard seed is super, excuse me, the mustard plant is super pungent. It has a really, really strong smell that is noticeable to anyone who's anywhere near it. When Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that starts small and grows into something big, he's saying that what he is doing by teaching and healing and driving out demons and giving people hope and offering the love and grace of God, he is flipping the world upside down. He's saying the kingdom of God will penetrate Everything in its path. It is for everyone. It will not be limited by anything. And it's got a strong smell and it is not going away. And it's going to keep spreading to anyone who will smell or hear or see what Jesus has to offer. How do we respond to this parable today when we think about our own lives and the context that we're in? How do we respond to this idea of a mustard plant? Are we really, truly listening, paying attention to what Jesus has to teach us? 
If we follow Jesus, if we say that we have faith, do we allow the message that he is bringing to flip our worlds upside down? To redefine our expectations for what is success and power and spectacle. And let our faith in Jesus define that instead. Do we draw close like those disciples did, trying to learn more of what Jesus has to teach so that we can be in relationship with him? To allow that to impact not only our own lives, but also the lives of those around us. When I was in college, I remember being in a class one time, and there was this girl that I got to know in the class. We became uh, acquaintances. You know, we talked all the time when we were in class together. We didn't really hang out outside of class. Um, And I remember I didn't really tell her anything about my faith or that I was a Christian or anything like that. And one day, in the middle of the quarter, she asks me if we can talk after class. And I thought, all right, you know. So we get together to talk, and she... She says that she wants to ask me some advice. And I was a little taken aback. You know, I wasn't really big on giving advice, you know, so I said, well, you know, I'm not really a big advice giver. Can I interest you in a sarcastic comment? I don't know. Um, I'm just kidding. I didn't really say that. But I thought it. Um, she, she asked me some advice about what was going on in her family, and I you know, kind of talked to her about it a little bit, and she said, well, I wanted to talk to you about this because I know that you're a Christian, and I know that you'll pray for me, and I don't really have a faith of my own, but I wanted to share that with you. And I was you know, surprised that she had noticed that I was a Christian when I had never really said anything about that. And I don't say that to say, oh, check me out, I got it going on, but because probably more often than not, people are like, you're a Christian? Um, but I say that to say, like Shane Claiborne says, you shouldn't have to tell anyone you're a Christian. And I would add to that, because they should be able to smell it. <laughs> and it should smell good. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says that we are the aroma of Christ. We are the fragrance of Christ. Not that you shouldn't talk about your faith, but you shouldn't have to. What about you? What about you? If you have faith in Jesus, it probably started small, maybe like a mustard seed, but has it grown? Has it been able to penetrate every part of your life? Or have you kept your faith in God, you know, in this nice place, you know, after you leave the inn, put it away. You get it out again, but you kind of leave it there. What are the areas of your life that you have yet to open up to Jesus? What about school? Does your faith have any impact on school for you? Relationships, how you treat other people? How you spend your money? How you spend your Saturday night. How you look at the future. Does your faith enter into every part of your life, no matter where you are and what you do? Does your life reek of Jesus Christ? Often when it comes to gardening, the mustard plant is considered 
too dangerous to the other plants. And it has to be weeded out. In the circumstances that Jesus was, was in, people decided that he needed to be wiped out. Some people thought this guy Jesus, his message of the kingdom of God that starts small and brings love and hope, that needs to stop. This guy Jesus who empowered sinners, who healed unclean people, who fed thousands, this guy, he shouldn't continue. Because he was going to take over the entire garden and the kingdom of God and the teaching he brought couldn't be stopped. Next week, we're going to look at what Jesus did. What Jesus did when his message of the kingdom of God was rejected and weeded out by the people that he was around. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you bring us the power of the kingdom of God. That you have brought the power of the kingdom of God into each of us. And we can share that power with a world that is desperately crying out for the hope and the love and the redemption and the grace that is found within it and within you. Lord, help us to know how we can make our faith a part of all of our lives. Help us to remember what is necessary so that we can share you and the kingdom of God with all those around us. Be with us now. Amen.